We'll read again that last verse of Luke chapter 10, where Jesus said, But this one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. In this account, we have a contrast between the many things that uh, troubled Martha and the one thing that brought peace to Mary. And Jesus called that one thing the good part. A part is a portion of a whole. We divide life into many parts. We have infants, toddlers, teens, adults, seniors. Every part brings something interesting. We divide time into many parts as well. We have seconds, minutes, hours, days, years, decades, centuries. We, for the most part, are not concerned about centuries. We might hope for decades, but we should concentrate on minutes and hours, I suppose. But some parts are better than others. When I think of uh, that, I think of my Roseburg days, harvesting watermelons. We uh, were teenagers, late teens, maybe 20, that three year period there, four year period, or five or six year period, whatever it was, we uh, enjoyed harvesting watermelons because we formed a chain with the truck going down a, a row or a path through the watermelon patch, which caused the tires to run over watermelons, but that's the cost of harvesting the melons. And as the truck moved, we had a chain of four or five of us with one picking the melon, tossing it to the next guy, who tossed to the next guy, who tossed to the next guy, who tossed to the guy standing in the truck who stacked the melon. Well, you toss the melon that uh, long, and once in a while one breaks. And when one broke, the truck stopped, and we all dived to the, dove to the, to the melon and took a part of the melon, the good part of the melon. Now, these weren't seedless uh, melons. Seeded melons have, I still think, a bit better flavor than seedless melons, but uh, you can judge that for yourself. So you a, melon ha a watermelon has three parts, the green rind, uh, the dark uh, seeds, and then the red interior of the melon with the heart of the melon being the good part. We didn't sit down and have a picnic there. We just stuck our hand in the middle of that melon and grabbed the, a chunk of the heart of the melon. That's the good part. Well, the good part of life, the good part of every day, is serving God. Now, we see that Martha missed the good part. We look at her and we think uh, she must have had a clean house, but she had a cluttered life. She had a lot going on in life, and she was absorbed and preoccupied with too many things. 
life can bring that when you sit in a church service and begin to make a mental list of things to do during the coming week or right after church. That's clutter. We, we all do it. I thought of a couple of things while seated here, and I'm the one that's going to deliver this message. We, we, have, we, we, we care about too many things too much of the time. When we think of uh, our life being cluttered or crowded, we think of stepping onto an elevator that's already full. It, you pause. You, you don't really want to do that. When Debbie and I go to a restaurant, remember when we used to go out to restaurants to eat? We'd sit at a table, and uh, there's... Uh, Debbie, Debbie knows that I do this. The first thing I do is I take my billfold out of my, uh, my pocket, stack that billfold with my keys and with my phone just to relax, and then I move the paraphernalia away, and nowadays they have the um, card readers that sit right there as you, you sit down. I have to move that to the side. Give me some space here. I feel cluttered. Well, life uh, can be like that. And Martha, she thought she was frustrated with Mary. Actually, she was irritated with Jesus, that Jesus did not tell Mary to help her out. But Martha's problem was not Jesus, nor was it Mary. Martha's problem was Martha. When we, when we have too much clutter in life, something's got to go. And typically we crowd out the one who needs to stay when we need to push aside everything else. Paul said, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but all things edify not. So we're not talking about sinning. We're simply talking about being preoccupied with too many things that take too much of our time and energy. Everything is not beneficial. And in another place, he said, I'll not be brought under the power of any. So if you have uh, something in your life that takes a precedent or uh, dominates you to the point of distracting you from the one who deserves our attention, that's being crowded. That's being concerned about too many uh, things that are of little benefit. These are testing times. That could be said of any time, I suppose, but we see that uh, 2020 has brought a few extra things along the way. That reveal, really, what we're made of. Think of the SAT scores that individuals who are hoping to go to uh, university or college uh, take. The SAT score, it reveals knowledge. It does not cause knowledge. And that's true of testing times. Uh, Testing times do not cause whatever um, spiritual flaws exist within our hearts and minds, testing times reveal those conditions. 
Paul, again, Paul said, Every man's works will be manifest, for the day shall declare it, the day of testing. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So the trials of life reveal what we are made of. Jesus told Peter, Satan hath desired to to sift you as wheat. And I think that's true of the enemy's intent for every one of us. During testing times, he would like to sift us as wheat. Jeremiah made reference to uh, and asked the question, what is the chaff to the wheat? So these in Jesus' day and in Paul's day understood that it was necessary to separate the chaff from the wheat in order to have a good quality product in the end. Well, we don't want to be uh, separated from the good part. We want to be part of the wheat. And uh, that metaphor can be taken uh, another way as well. Obviously, we want uh, to place importance or stress upon the aspects of life that are, are of value and let the chaff be sifted away. In contrast to Martha, Mary had a, a focused mind. She had a sound soul. She understood what was most important. Martha was fixing a meal that would satisfy for a few hours. But Jesus was providing a feast that would benefit for the rest of her life into eternity. And there's no more important thing to do these days than to sit at the feet of Jesus. And she did not just sit at Jesus' feet. She sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That feeds the soul. We, we, want, we want that. You get the feeling that Mary could not ever meet the expectations that Martha imposed upon her. And perhaps Mary just gave up and thought, I can't satisfy my sister, who is assumed to be the older sister in this case, not that that's relevant, but it was her house, and it appears that her uh, Mary and Lazarus were living in the same house, But she may have thought, I I, I can't satisfy my sister, but there's one I can satisfy. There's one whose expectations I can meet, and that one is the most important one, that's Jesus. And so she sat and heard his word. Jesus, again, called that the good part. Why, Why is the good part good? Well, it's good because it offers stability. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ in the life, in times of instability. It's good because it cannot be taken away. No, it can't be. It doesn't matter what circumstances arise. When you have something within that sustains you, no one can touch it. It can only develop in a positive manner as you go through whatever life offers. 
And it's the one thing we can control. We heard a little bit about that Friday night when Paul uh, said, uh, this one thing I do, one thing, I can do one thing. Some people are good at multitasking, others are not, but every one of us can do one thing at a time. And that's what Paul would have us do. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The metaphor here is of a Grecian runner headed to that finish line. Nowadays in a race like that, we would have a a tape across that line and the runner focused on uh, hitting that tape uh, with his chest as he goes through there in order to win the race. So there's only one winner. The rest who train so hard are left demoralized. But today we're all winners. We can all be focused on that finish line. That's what uh, Paul was uh, speaking of. And here he was imprisoned and had no guarantee of ever being released. In fact, in fact, faced martyrdom and knew it. But in the same uh, uh, chapter, he spoke, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Other times he spoke of the coming of Jesus and hope for the rapture of the church. But given the fact that he expected to give his life for the gospel, uh, he realized there was a, a chance that he would be he would uh, be killed before the rapture occurred. And so his hope turned to the resurrection of the dead. And he had spoken of that too, when the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then the saints of God who are saved, that's why they're saints of God, shall be raptured. That was his focus. That's our focus. Choose to be encumbered by all this uh, what Paul also referred to the to the beggarly elements of the world, referring I realize to the to the law, but nonetheless to the uh, things of the world that will pass away. Consume yourself with that if you wish. They will not leave you feeling better. They'll leave you feeling worse. Or focus on the goal ahead. That's what we want our focus to be. We want to remain uncluttered unencumbered by the many distractions around us, keeping our eyes upon the very one thing that will take us to glory at the rapture of the church. We want to choose the good part. Last Sunday morning, I was listening early to the Washington, D.C. church service. And... Heard Sister Josephine McKelvin uh, preach and give a bit of her story and also that of her husband who has uh, since passed away a couple of a year or two ago. But she spoke of choosing to serve God. And we printed her testimony about uh, maybe 19. Well, 2004, I think it was. Anyway, 16 years ago. And we'll publish it again, perhaps updated, because things can happen in 16 years. But the foundation of the story won't change. She spoke 
uh, in her testimony of having grown up with her brothers and sisters in a God-fearing home. They went to Sunday school and had family devotions and uh, lived where her father was the chairman of the board of the local church. And our paternal grandparents were founders of our church in Raleigh, North Carolina, she said. So she, she knew about God and knew about Jesus. But she knew him, she says, primarily as a historical figure. Despite that upbringing, she said, I tried to leave for the Lord, but my Christianity was superficial. Anyway, she went on and, and graduated from high school and attended college for a while in North Carolina and then moved to California to continue college. And she said, and I quote here, because I was used to going to church where I had lived and attended church of denominations, I attended a church of the denomination in which I was raised. Their services were the style that I was used to, and I sat there, I often cried. She said, people wondered what was wrong with me, but even I did not know. I did not realize that God was dealing with my heart. And she said, although I, I love to hear the choir sing, it troubled me when I observed the people participating in the choir because she went on to say they were doing the same things in the weekends that she was doing, now unrestrained by her parents. And so she thought something is wrong here with this picture. And there was something wrong with it. She spoke of one time coming home from church and feeling the need to know God, and she didn't know him. So she dropped in her, to her knees by her bedside in the room, and the Spirit of God came into that room, and it, it startled her. She said she was not frightened, but it was something strange and a different experience, so she immediately got up and left the room. The next day, she took transportation to an appointment she had downtown, I assume a taxi, and I quote again, between the driver and me was a big book, a Bible. As we were riding to the clinic, the man asked me if I was saved. Because I was raised in the church and went to Sunday school, I thought I knew about God. And even though I was seeking the Lord, I was very defensive when he asked me that question. And she began to give the taxi driver, the same story I just told you. I was raised in a home where the Bible was an open book, went to church, dad's a deacon, grandparents uh, started the church. He said, I didn't ask you that. I asked you if you were saved. I realized then I did not know what he was talking about. But this same man invited her to attend uh, services the next uh, Sunday. He told her that he was picking up one of the ladies in the church to go to that service and would also uh, take her along if she wanted to. Well, she wanted to. So she went to a storefront church in Los Angeles. Again, I quote, during the service, I felt, I, I, um, I felt what I now understand was Holy Ghost conviction for sin. The Lord let me see myself as a sinner in need of the Savior. I wept because I knew that I needed the Lord, but did not know how to receive him. After the service was over, I went to the front and knelt down to pray by their little wooden altar bench. The evangelist and the man who had invited me knelt there also. I did not know what to say, but they helped me, and I prayed, Lord, save me. 
And the Lord came into my heart in a way I never knew was possible. When I walked out of that place, it was though I walked into a brand new world. She had chosen the good part. My sibling, she went on to say, became concerned about me back home. They thought I'd lost my mind and getting fanatical because I was going to church all the time and praying and saying, uh, praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus. And they said, this girl's gone overboard. There's lots more, but I, I won't read it. But I will say, um, while attending college in North Carolina, uh, she had met a young man. And after they moved, uh, she moved to California, they got married somewhere in there. He also uh, was brought up in a home where the Bible was an open book. And I'm, it's not clear to me whether he was saved or and backslid or whether he nearly never was really saved, similar to Sister Josephine, who simply didn't understand it. But uh, along the way, he fell into deep sin, and there were periods of time where he was uh, away from the home. And what she spoke of last Sunday... Uh, was uh, very inspiring because along the way, in recent years, before he died, obviously, he, he prayed through and got saved. And she wondered to herself, is he, is he really saved or, or, or is he not saved? He had some ill effects from his uh, life of uh, sin. Debbie and I remember meeting him when we were back in Washington, D.C. five or six uh, years ago. I'm not sure at what point uh, he got saved, but he was at church. And Josephine uh, tells of how uh, when he got saved, there was a dramatic change in his heart to the point where when she would go uh, to work and then have to come home uh, straight to church, from work rather, he, she would swing by the house and he would be even in the dead of winter in Washington, D.C., winters are... Uh, quite a bit more harsh than Portland, Oregon winters. But even when it was cold, uh, he would be waiting outside so he could quickly get in the car. She didn't have time to come in the house and go on to church. On Sundays, uh, she says he was ready before she was. When she would uh, come downstairs, there he was seated and ready to go to church. He had chosen the good part. Uh, you know, life throws so much at everyone. It, it pays to know what is of value in life. What is of value is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the one thing that will sustain us through life and take us into eternity to land in heaven. We have to choose it. Josephine, Sister Josephine, has done so. And you ought to listen to her sermons when you get a chance. They, they are inspiring to hear. She's not driven by the news cycle. She's inspired by the Holy Ghost. And uh, her sermons spring from the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. That's the good part. That's the part we enjoy. That's the part uh, we benefit by. And I'll say again, if there's ever a time where we need to set the feet of Jesus and hear His Word, it's these times. So we thank God for the privilege of doing just that, whether it be here uh, in the sanctuary or at home, uh, watching via the webcast. Uh, we want to be sure that we uh, continue in the path that we started when we gave our hearts to God. And even when this pandemic began, 
I think there was a very uh, serious uh, aspect in the homes of, of all Christians when they suddenly could not do what they had been accustomed to doing for their entire life. Well, if we need to watch from home, we will uh, seize this opportunity to watch church with our family and uh, to pray with our family. But uh, I hope that as the months have gone from March to April uh, to May, springing into August, that that determination is still there that the good part is still highly valued. We need it. Uh, we thank God that we have had the privilege to sit at his feet uh, this morning and to uh, gather around his word. Now let's take this opportunity after a closing song to drop to our knees and look heaven's way and ask the Lord to let it abide all the more deeply within us.